glad you braved the elements to be here today. Good to see you here. This note was handed to me by, the, by one of the ushers. Someone has double parked their dog sled. Actually uh, not, but uh, I'm glad you're here for this time of worship. And if you are uh, worshiping as a guest with us today, we're delighted to have you here. Hope that you'll be back to worship with us on, uh, on many future occasions. Did you all know that we're supposed to get some more frozen stuff maybe in the morning? They're talking about more in the morning. Never mind what that groundhog up in Philadelphia said. We need to worry about what uh, Burgess Hills Billy Bob said. That's the groundhog we need to worry about. Um, but anyway, uh, be careful as you leave this morning. If you see some slick spots in a few places, we do have some uh, salt scattered, hoping to melt that by lunchtime. If, by the way, you don't have uh, television and you don't know the weather, all you got to do is go to the grocery store like we did. And if there's no milk and no bread, you know it's going to snow. Penny sent me yesterday to get some milk, and I thought I was going to have to bring home a cow. That's the only way you could get it. Anyway, we have some announcements for today from our children's director. Uh, be sure that you visit the, uh, Katie says, be sure to visit our church website at greerchurch.com to see pictures of the children uh, singing last Sunday morning at the 9 o'clock service and you can listen to them also uh, by, uh, by going to our website. Um, the next time we have a Wednesday night supper will be the 3rd of March and Katie does something with the children in connection with that. Um, there will be a, a St. Patrick's Day uh, theme for the next time when they meet at the 3rd of March. And so we invite our children to be there uh, as a part of those family night suppers. Um, looking ahead, March 27th will be the annual Easter egg hunt. And tonight there will be no regular Sunday night activities so that everyone can attend the Cheerful Hearts Midwinter Dinner, which is this evening um, it, over in our uh, family life center let's see that may be all the announcements we are glad to have you here and we do uh, celebrate communion uh, in the Methodist Church by celebrating what we call open communion which means that uh, you are invited to participate in the communion uh, even if you are a visitor uh, this is the Lord's table, he, and he invites you. Um, so we hope that you will um, come to that invitation. There are a few churches that discourage, I know, discourage you from participating in our communion. So we'll leave that to your Christian conscience, what you need to do, but you're invited. We also invite our children to participate in Holy Communion. Someone was asking about that this morning, and we certainly celebrate... Uh, uh, allowing them to participate in communion um, if you so choose. Um, they probably can catch on to the symbolism better than we adults can. So uh, certainly we're glad to have them celebrating communion with us. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
invite you to turn to page six in your hymnal and join me in the opening prayer, which is printed there about halfway down that page. Let us pray. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. This time we would like to invite our children to come forward to join Elaine Rush for a few moments of sharing. Good morning. How did you like the snow? Did you slide? Did you make a snowman? Did he have eyes? Some of them didn't. I saw one on TV this morning that had a bathing suit on. Yeah. What we're going to talk about this morning is this is a special day. What's special about today? It's Valentine's Day. Hmm. Is there anything else special about today? It was Big Hug Sunday. Did you hug somebody? Good. What else is special about today? It's Communion Sunday. Now let me think. Do all of those have something in common? Well, when I was your age, and I was, I look forward to Valentine's Day because we had this big box and we had valentines and somebody got to hand them out to us and we were always so excited because we wanted to count how many we got to make sure we got as many as everybody else did and see if we got something from a special boy we liked or maybe a special girl we liked but valentines was a really special day it's a day that talks to us about how we love each other but it's also a day that we think about how much we're loved by our moms and our dads, our friends, our grandparents, and also by God. Because God loves us every day of the year. Valentine's Day is every day for God because his love is always there for us. He likes us when we're good. He likes us sometimes when we're not so good, but he loves us always. We can always know that just like the Big Hug Sunday, his arms are wrapped around us and they'll always feel warm, just like when mommy or grandmother hug you. So we're going to do something special this morning, okay? Because it's a special day. It's Valentine's Day. So you know, those people out there, they might not have gotten a Valentine today. Do you think? Maybe not. Some of them didn't. So we're going to give everybody here a Valentine. Okay, and you're going to deliver them all to them, and you're going to say, Happy Valentine's, and God loves you. Okay, you want to do that for me? Okay, I've got them for you. By the way, if some of the little ones need a help from a parent, you can help them, okay?
Thank you, boys and girls. I want us to pray together, um, not just as children, but as adults today on this Valentine's Day. Dear God, for all the love that you give all of us, for your generous, warm feelings that make us know that you are always there for us and your love will surround us forever. Amen. us change gears and enter the Lenten season, we will be having an Ash Wednesday service uh, briefly on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, uh, designed to help us realize that we're moving from this joyful season of the birth of Christ and the celebration of his uh, manifestation to people to a darker time when we remember the preparation for the cross and 
the, the giving of his life for us. So that will be on Wednesday night. I invite you to turn again to page six for the prayer of illumination near the bottom of that page and join me as we pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. First lesson is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Paul is writing, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then the twelve, and, that, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep in death. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. And then from Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. I hope you can find your place faster than I am finding mine. Okay. For Don Lewis, it is on page 1609, Don, you'd like to know that, so. <clears throat> About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter and John and James with him and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. Here ends the lesson. The season of Epiphany ends today, this week, on a very high note. <clears throat> we have observed during the last month how people who met Jesus came to the conclusion that this man was far more than just an ordinary man. He embodied the wisdom and the grace of God to such a degree that he could claim oneness with God and mean it. On the Mount of Transfiguration, James, Peter, and John saw Jesus in his eternal glory. 
talking with Moses and Elijah about his upcoming crucifixion. This had to be the ultimate epiphany in their lives, but it was by no means the last epiphany, for there were many others for many other people. Another very high epiphany occurred a few years later to a young man named Saul from Tarsus. A very devoted follower of the law of Moses, Saul did all that he could to keep his religion pure from all uh, error in the, in the ways of the law of Moses. Like the prophet Elijah had done, Saul even had those he considered to be false prophets imprisoned and executed. That this man would become a follower of Jesus and the most successful proponent of the gospel that the world would ever know is one of history's greatest surprises. According to his own retelling of this story, Paul retreated into the desert after his eye-opening, blinding experience on the road to Damascus, probably trying to sort out just what it was he now believed. A number of years passed between this conversion experience and his call to, to ministry. And so when he did become a missionary, he had had years uh, for his faith to become well-grounded. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul repeats the affirmation of his faith, telling us just why he believed that Jesus is the Christ. He begins by grounding his faith in the written word of God, that Jesus would die for our sins and then be raised again on the third day was something that was predicted in scripture, Paul would say. And therefore his faith rested on the bedrock of holy scripture, as does ours. Of course, not everyone who read the Hebrew scripture would agree with Paul's interpretation, but many certainly did within the Christian fold. It is helpful if our faith is rooted in the objective source of truth and that many people interpret that truth the same way that we do. The second thing that Paul uh, claims as authority for his faith is an objective source, or rather a subjective source, the experience of human beings that were close to Jesus. In, in Galatians 1, Paul tells us that three years after his Damascus Road experience, he went down to Jerusalem to spend 15 days with Simon Peter. Sometime during that lengthy visit, he also met Jesus' blood brother, James. These two did a lot to help ground Paul's faith in their experiences with the risen Lord. Undoubtedly, Peter told Paul about the mountain of transfiguration about later seeing Jesus die upon a cross, about running into that empty tomb on Easter morning and finding it to be empty, and later seeing the risen Lord in the upper room and by the seaside and many other places during the days following the resurrection. Paul had to be impressed with a man who would abandon his business and his home for the uncertainty of itinerant ministry that would end up in beatings and imprisonments. He also had to be impressed with Jesus' brother James as well. He learned that James and the other members of Jesus' family had been more embarrassed than blessed during Jesus' active ministry. In fact, on at least one occasion, we can read about a time when Jesus' family tried to get Jesus to quit his preaching and come home with them, considering some of the things that Jesus was saying and doing, they probably thought that their family member was crazy, and he would have been crazy if those things had not been utterly true. Paul probably learned that none of Jesus' siblings followed Jesus during his earthly ministry and that his mother Mary followed Jesus primarily out of a sense of concern for his well-being. And Paul learned that now James was a follower of Jesus, 
because Jesus had appeared to him. And little brother Jude was also a follower of Jesus, his big brother. To know that these men and the other original disciples had given up everything in order to give themselves completely to the task of preaching the gospel had to have a deep impact upon Paul. When someone asks me why I believe in Christ, one of the things that I tell them is to please explain to me, if they can, what would possibly motivate a group of men and women to give up all of their earthly possessions and in return face persecution, hardships, imprisonments, torture, and death without ever recanting or wavering in what they said they saw. Of the original 12 apostles, only one managed to die of old age. All the others died a martyr's death. You have to believe in something very deeply in order to be willing to die for it. Apologetic writer Josh McDowell says that in the whole history of the world, nobody has ever died for a lie that they knew was a lie. These men and women knew what they were preaching to be the absolute truth. Why did Paul believe in Christ? First, because the Holy Scriptures predicted Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Secondly, because those closest to Jesus, plus another 500 that gathered together in one place for worship, had witnessed the risen Christ in their midst. Thirdly, Paul pointed to his own experience as a reason for his faith. He had seen the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and that made him an apostle, he said, no less than Peter and John and the others. He had seen a bright light, and he'd heard Jesus speaking from that light, saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? You're just like an ox who keeps kicking at the goad that's trying to give it guidance and direction as it pulls the plow. The circumstances of Paul's birth, life, birth and life certainly made it unlikely that he would have been one of the followers of Christ or leader in the church. He was raised many miles away from Jerusalem. He was as much Greek as he was Jew, as much Roman citizen as he was a citizen of Judah. When he did hear about Jesus, he didn't believe what he heard and fought against the church at every turn. But in spite of these realities, God had managed to overcome all of these obstacles and had brought Paul into, into the faith that he once persecuted. Why did Paul believe in Jesus, the scripture, the witness of the believers, and his own personal experience of God's grace? Why do I believe in Christ, the scripture, the witness of that great cloud of Christian witnesses, including you, and my own personal experience of God's grace. That is one apostle's creed, and it should also be our creed also. Amen. In response to the proclamation of the good news, I invite you to turn to page 7 of your hymnal and stand as you're able as we use this ecumenical version of the Apostles' Creed to express our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, unite our hearts together in prayer. <clears throat> o 
O Lord, we pray that the world may live in peace and that your church may achieve unity, fulfilling its service here and everywhere. We pray that all ministers and teachers in the church may be faithful servants of the gospel, leading others into its way of life and strengthening their faith. We pray that the leaders of this nation and of the world may govern with justice and mercy, that all of our work may be done for the common good and that it be done in safety, and that all may be spared from grinding toil which destroys fullness of life. We pray that those who work on frontiers of truth and those who enrich our lives with beauty and joy may be free to follow their vocations, that those who suffer disease or poverty or loneliness or grief may be healed and comforted, that those who are oppressed or persecuted may be strengthened and delivered, and that those whom we've known and loved who have died in the faith may be a glorious memory to us and a source of renewed fellowship with all the saints. These are our prayers through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Christ, our Lord, invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace and love with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another using the prayer of confession there on page 8. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of need. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. As forgiven and reconciled people, let us offer ourselves and our gifts to God.
Our great Thanksgiving begins there on uh, page 9. I invite you to follow along and to share as we worship God using these words. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful things, thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ, your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice and union with Christ's offering for us, as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet through your son Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and your holy church. All honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one, are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ, and the cup over which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ.
prayer that concludes the service is uh, near the bottom of the page on page 11. Let us join together as we pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for 